0: No, no, no. Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trust and estates, business succession, exit planning, legal technology, law practice management, law firm leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal.
2: There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to InteractiveLegal.com and click on request a demo and you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you which can be done right over the internet don't have to leave your office no salesperson will call we can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you so please go to interactivelegal.com and click on request a demo
0: wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment Advisory Service is offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.
1: On today's episode, my guest is David Campbell. David is a director with a Dallas firm of Underwood Perkins PC. He has been in practice since 1985 working in the areas of creditors' rights, bankruptcy, and business dissolutions. I asked David to participate in this episode to discuss the importance of business prenups. Thanks for joining me today, David.
2: Well, the pleasure's mine. I've got to confess, I'm a big fan of your podcast.
1: Well, David, I'm glad to have you on it and uh, really enjoy whenever we run into each other at some of our annual conferences. But can you start off by just explaining, what do we mean when we refer to a business prenup?
2: Well, I'm really talking about a buy-sell agreement. But uh, in the context we're going to talk about today, I think a prenup paints a more correct picture of what you're trying to accomplish.
1: And I think that that's really true in the sense that I always explain it to people when you get married or when you go into business together at the end of the day, it's either somebody else makes the rules if it doesn't work out or you decide what the rules are. And I think things work better if you actually know what the rules are, right?
2: That's right. It, uh, a well drafted, business prenup or buy-sell agreement will uh, take a lot of the angst uh, and hard feelings that could arise uh, later in a business relationship when it becomes apparent that either you're needing to uh, make a change in the entity or you need to to break up the ownership. Uh, These documents, uh, sometimes I've seen them as a separate document, but they can also be part of a company's bylaws or or company agreement, operating agreement, if it's an LLC. Uh, And they're going to outline the rules for when somebody uh, needs to leave, whether the departing Uh, owner is the one that uh, wants to exit or uh, the uh, remaining owners have decided that this uh, particular person uh, needs to go for the betterment of the organization. And as you said, it's much better to discuss these things and come to agreements on them uh at the front end while everybody's uh friends and happy with each other and 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 believes that only good times are ahead so for
1: four individuals come to see you about setting up new startup so the best time for them to have this conversation about what happens if this doesn't work is as they're getting started up
2: yes absolutely if you if you wait um uh, And don't have one when the if pressure does come, and the uh, the business uh, is subject to a lot of conflict between the owners, or there's economic problems, it it can create a uh, free for all on uh, what happens to the assets. You could wind up with uh, lawsuits. Uh I've even seen involuntary bankruptcy uh filings and these type of situations. And many of these could have been avoided if you had a well well drafted uh buy-sell agreement on the front end.
1: And just as a kind of aside, we're focusing on the buy-sells today, but an overall agreement about who's actually doing what with respect to the business. If we go back to that example of four individuals coming in, let's say they're starting a restaurant and who's going to, maybe one's going to be the chef, maybe one's going to manage the day-to-day, maybe another's going to be involved in some other aspect.
2: And somebody's the money.
1: And somebody's managing the money. And so you have those four and let's just, that's a, you know, kind of owner operated type of closely held business. You need to have this prenup there, but let's say one of them, you know, life changes and he, she's going through a divorce, decides to move, leave the business. It can be a friendly departure even, but it's like, let's just kind of define different things happen in life besides us just not doing well or hating each other. So let's cover these, right?
2: That's right. For example, maybe uh, one of the owners uh, gets into financial difficulty and has their own individual creditors, uh, who uh, may have an ability depending on what state you're operating in, to uh, really wreck havoc with the operation of the of the business. Uh, there could be a myriad of, of reasons. as you said, you could have a death, you could have a uh, uh, some type of medical issue uh, including one that maybe incapacitates you, perhaps, uh not permanently but temporarily. All all those are the type of issues you can have covered in a uh properly drafted agreement. Uh and, and Mary, what we're talking about here is not necessarily that you have a line item for each possible contingency that happens, but you have a mechanism in place where people have discretion to make decisions under a set of rules when the unexpected happens.
1: So I often explain a buy-sell agreement as being sort of the fallback rules, that these are the rules that apply, but you can always agree otherwise as well, right? So let's say, for example, these four guys are all employed, four individuals are employed by the business. We might have a provision that says if somebody is no longer working for the business, then we are going to buy them out. But you could agree for various reasons to leave somebody in a business if you wanted to, right?
2: That's absolutely right. It's also important on the flip side to realize that uh, as you are, you may be negotiating those type of situations, the whatever you agree to in the front end will create some degree of leverage uh, one way or the other. So it, it's not only important to have rules, but have, have rules you can live with and, and don't just say, well, I don't care what's in the buy, sell. I trust uh, the other person, whatever they have in there. I'm sure I'll be treated fairly.
1: And so I'm just going to like, I was using this example of four individuals in a restaurant, but generally the same concepts might apply if we have four individuals coming together to create an entity that's going to be the general partner and maybe they're going to have a carried interest in a limited partnership in some kind of real estate venture, but they as the general partner coming in should have, they're the four owners of that, it apply in different contexts. Is that a fair statement?
2: Yes, absolutely. It, it can happen whether you've got a, uh, a passive interest or it's one where everybody is uh, sharing in the business activity.
1: So with these four business owners who come in to see you, David, starting a business, and so obviously if we're talking about, hmm, we're trying to make the rules about what happens if one of us leaves, can you represent all four of them with respect to doing this business
2: prenup? Uh, I would be very hesitant about doing that. And the reason is you've got, uh, as a lawyer, you have a a duty to uh, your client, and it may be that in the um, in the negotiations they don't all have equal bargaining ability for example, you know the old uh, saying the golden rule is you know the person that has the gold makes the rules uh, and uh, when you're starting to uh, be a lawyer for a group and you're drafting rights and obligations between each other, it, it really sets you up for trouble. Now, I, I don't think it's a problem if you have one lawyer draft them and then your other owners uh, retain separate counsel and review and comment on them. So I think that's a much, much better approach and it, it will uh make sure no one's getting shorted in the process and i think um, eliminates a lot of potential second guessing plus as the as the lawyer drafting it you know are you representing the entity or are you representing the owners and and there you you may have a potential conflict of interest as well
1: and there's also issues that if you're representing the business with respect to confidentiality and that one owner calls you up and says hey don't tell my partner this but right and so yes and that's where it's a matter of making it really clear who's representing and really encouraging people who are getting into business to like i know nobody wants to pay like four attorneys to get into this deal I can draft it, but each at least need to have review and comment. Just pick somebody who's not going to go to war, hopefully, because you guys are, you know, hopefully reasonable and really wanting to do this business. We don't want to be deal killers, but we want to make sure that you're not the one at the end of the day who is getting hosed. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors.
0: If you had a dollar for every financial advisor that just wanted your money, your financial future would already be secure. At Foster Group, our team is different. One whose focus is on you and your dreams. Together, we'll create a strategy that helps you get there, wherever there is for you. Foster Group, your financial life truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part Two A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees. is available at www.fostergrp.com.
1: Okay, let's continue our episode.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about the key
1: things that should be considered by business owners when they're putting together their buy-seller business prenup, as we're calling it.
2: Right. I think uh, one of the most important things is uh how you're going to value the interest that's being repurchased by the group? Uh what type of formula you're going to use? Uh what uh what term period and not only what the formula is, but to the extent there may be some opinion in that. Uh who who would you uh, choose to uh, do that valuation? Uh, you would assume it'd be a third party, but what if you have disagreements about who that valuation expert may be? And you can, you can set up all sorts of ways to handle that. For example, uh, maybe there, there's a person already uh, written to the agreement that this is who we've pre-selected. To do to value the company, or this is uh, uh, each person can put forth their own person, and and then you work it out. But, uh, I don't want to get bogged down on the how tos, but the valuation is really important. The purchase terms are also very important. Are we talking about an upfront payment? Are we talking about a term uh, payout? but you you need to make sure it's not just how much am i getting but uh when and how do i i get it you know there's an old saying that uh i'll let you set the price if i get to set the terms and uh that that's true in this case uh in this type of agreement too it's also important to um have in place uh appropriate what i would call puts and buyouts so for example uh, does your agreement have a mechanism that if i want out you have to buy me out and if so is the valuation uh formula different or if the group wants to kick me out uh do uh do they have the power to do that? And does that change the formula? I'll give you an, ex- uh, an example. I once represented a group of physicians uh, that had an emergency room con- contract with a hospital and they had a member of their PA that they wanted to buy out uh, because this person, this doctor was antagonizing uh, patients and other hospital employees and they had a very nice drafted formula of what the uh buyout amount would be but they had no mechanism to exercise it the only thing they had was for cause so they had to spend a year building a case for what this uh uh malcontent doctor was doing to um, uh, buy them out of the contract, uh, so you want to make sure you cover that and decide what's what's a reasonable scenario by which if a person wants out, we pay them out, or if they we want them out, we can uh, make it happen. I want to say another thing, by the way, on uh, the formula. I, I once worked on a deal where the uh, they had a, a buyout provision with uh and all through the document they were talking about uh, ownership interest. but when they got to the buyout formula the uh, the amount uh, it talked about investment and uh, so was that the same thing as the ownership interest? was that your original amount you paid in, so any deductions from your capital account aren't counted. It created all sorts of problems and eventually resulted in uh, litigation. Uh, Another situation you need to uh, make sure you account for is who actually owns the assets. Uh, In some cases, you may have assets like IP may be owned by uh, individual owner and so what happens if you uh, want to buy a person out, but they actually own a critical piece of, of IP? You've also got to consider things like non-competes, non-solicitations, non-disclosure agreements. What type of information can the departing owner use uh, in competition with you in the, the future? um uh also uh how are you going to fund it if you're um have a buy-sell agreement that's triggered for example one of the conditions may be the death of an owner uh often you you fund that with uh insurance and then the question is also then who owns the insurance and that can make a big difference from a tax standpoint
1: and david uh, i was just gonna go back to one thing i wanted to comment here on a, a second ago was so i'm just taking you back a minute when we're talking about you know the kind of the puts in the buyouts because i think the other thing and i've run into this you know there's been a lot of business exits the last year where there's a lot of venture capitals you know paying big amounts for companies things like that and in a couple cases and so I don't know if you referred to this and I just missed it but it, we call them like the drag along or tag along rights. So we had yes. by way of example I had a client who had a really significant offer for their business. There's eight shareholders. The one of the shareholders with the smallest interest, right, was kind of holding out and they had an agreement that everybody had to it had to be a unanimous agreement because it was to sell substantially all of the assets or the entire company. And so that's where, and state laws vary a little bit, quite a bit actually on what the rules are there. So that's where one of the things in the agreements you do want to provide is, hey, in the event that we have a third party fair market value offer and a good chunk of us want out, we can drag along those who don't, or we can, or you can buy us out for the same price.
2: Right. Uh, yeah. Rights of first refusal are real important in these two. The, uh I've also seen in these, like these tag alongs, the, uh, uh, where you have a, uh, a sale of a company, uh, but the founder, uh, the seller uh, retains a minority interest and they're looking to get some of their consideration on the, the next sale, Um uh, Those sometimes we had. I remember we had uh, one of my clients that was probably the most lengthy negotiation. We're on the tag along rights,
1: and that's been a really common structure that we've seen the last couple years. Is we'll give you a nice buyout here, but your bigger thing is going to be after we grow this thing and we have cell number two, and so you're basically trying to negotiate two pieces. And what we've seen in that is that if you have these eight owners, some care more about the immediate cash out. Some are willing to invest in the long cash out. And so trying to have, one, negotiating those is always the best if you can sit down at the table and agree, but having something in your basic agreement that considers that possibility. Well, let's talk just a little bit more. You mentioned the non-compete, the non-solicit, the NDA. What are kind of the options? So when you're saying that we need to think about that, exactly what are the considerations when we're talking about the business prenup? So we're at the table with the four individuals starting the business. What do we care about in terms of the the non-compete?
2: Well, I think uh, you need to to make sure you got to know, one, and this is where your lawyer really comes in, need to know your state law and what your limits are on being able to enforce a non-compete as far as your geography, your timing. Uh, as you know, Mary, more and more, these, these non-competes are not looked on favorably by courts, uh, although they can be more enforceable as part of sale. And that's one advantage you might have here is as part of a buyout, you may have an ability to use a more stringent non-compete form. I've often seen the non-solicitation can be the bigger deal uh, where the the person leaves and they may not be competing directly with you, but they really want to uh, at some point start picking off some of your core uh, sort of middle management employees. So uh, I think that's a um, uh, an element that shouldn't be overlooked as well.
1: And I know I'm in a state that throws out non-competes as opposed to, what do you call it, the blue pencil law in some states. So if you have a non-compete that doesn't work, it's just a, a state that's very uh, – doesn't really recognize them unless they're very, very narrowly drawn. The non-solicitations are more respected, but you still have to craft those narrowly. So let's say you have somebody at a significant business. We've seen this with like physicians working for a hospital system with a non-solicit that says you can never see any patient of ours like ever. And most of the time you have to limit those to patients that you had contact with while you were employed by things like that. So thinking about those and, and crafting those carefully. Yes.
2: So fact, that, that, that's one of the issues you got to. Uh, uh, the, the tendency is you your non-solicitation may look like a, a non in disguise or a or thinly veiled and uh, that there's a real gray line there between the two.
1: So it has to be a fair and appropriate non-solicitation with some kind of valid reason type of thing. So let's talk a little bit about the business with the four individuals who are all kind of active in the business and each of their employment. And sometimes, you know, you mentioned the physician group. I've done a lot with physician groups. We see it there, but I see it in a lot of other businesses, too. You might see it in a trash service. You might see it in a marketing company where four people go in together and they're each partners, each is doing a particular thing. And so one of the things you want to provide for is, you know, what happens when they retire and what are the considerations on that? So we have four of us hanging out together. Should I be able to cash out when I want to retire versus go down the street?
2: Yeah. And the, uh, there, there is some, uh, Goodwill related issues got to come up. What happens to the name if if you are the you're the, the retiring party and your your name was on the company? Can that company uh, uh, continue to use it? Uh, what happens when you leave? Uh, what does it do with affiliated agreements? You've got to remember. Uh, you've got. You may have change of control provisions and leases and loan documents. Your, de- your departing uh, owner may be a, a co-guarantor. And uh, so you're determining these retirement timed uh, by sales. You need to make sure that you've got some uh, cooperation. Uh, obligations built in which normally would mean some type of um, something similar to a top hat non-qualified um, retirement package or something like that.
1: And so what about if one of the partner dies what are the typical considerations when you're designing the agreement for that situation?
2: Well you may have uh you know what are the rights of the surviving spouse? You now have an estate that is created, uh, whether or not a, a probate is is filed or not. Uh, you're uh, as we've talked about. If you uh, had uh, insurance funding it, who's going to own the policy? Uh, and you definitely want to get with your cpa on some of those and again also as we talked about earlier what about assets that may have actually been in the name of the uh decedent did they own any of the ip was the goodwill the company set up to be owned personally by your four members and uh Again, this is where a buy-sell can come up with a a fair but fairly exact formula for the valuation. Uh, And uh, always a good question to me when you're in a a community property state. Uh, Also, uh, if you want to on some of these agreements, get the spouse to sign off. On it, as a general case, you don't always see that, but I've se- I have have seen it on occasion as well.
1: Well, and I think you've brought up the IP and Goodwill a couple times, and I, I think those are both really important areas that we ought to consider doing follow-up episodes on because I think you can do a full podcast episode on either. I would particularly yes. note that in IP recently, having been involved in certain structuring where IP is a significant issue and or you know somebody's selling and the ownership of that. And so it needs to be a conscious decision about where and how the IP is going to be owned and who has interest in it and how that comes into the company. So we'll follow up and do that whole in another episode. Um, you mentioned the value of life insurance. That's typically you're using that as funding in the event of death, right? And you mentioned- so you mentioned that there's options there as to where the life insurance can be owned, it could be owned by the company and planned a redemption. There can be cross-sells. So something that you have to consider that we won't go into a lot of detail on today, but is there any other just general thought on the life insurance aspect?
2: No, I think, I think you, uh, you know, a lot of times what you see, particularly we talk about startups, you know, they'll, they'll get the cheapest term, they can get, and then depending on their situation, how they want it held. And uh, I've even seen in those cases sometimes you'll see it where you don't even do evaluation; you just say the buyout's going to be X dollars. That's then tied to the insurance policy.
1: Right. So I've seen that used a lot of different ways. Right. But it and it's one of those that at a period of time, you know, I hadn't seen, I was like, well, I don't know why you should ever spend money on life insurance because I hadn't seen anybody die without retiring. And then I've been practicing long enough now that sadly I've had many younger business owners pass away and it's always useful to have that insurance. So it's something that should be considered. Well, we are at the end of our episode on this, David, and I know I have lots of questions, so I'm hoping we can follow up on this, but for today, do you have any last thoughts?
2: Uh, no. Uh, other than uh, typically business owners don't want to think about negative at- outcomes when they're starting a business. It's all uh, hope and promise. And it's hard sometimes to uh, think about things like uh, like death or separation, but if you take the time to do that um, at the beginning stage of your business, you're going to save yourself very likely a tremendous amount of stress uh, down the road, and and the the cost of uh, creating a well uh, made and fair buy sell agreement uh, is going to be much, much less the amount of attorney's fees you're going to spend if you wind up having a fight with a departing partner.
1: And I always like to talk to newer business owners about the concept of, well, let's assume you're going to be amazingly successful beyond your wildest dreams. And you're going to have these ginormous offers from you know, companies to buy you out. And so let's talk about that and try and give the positive perspective as well as part of the conversation. But I do think it's important to address because these things do happen. I really appreciate you joining me today on this episode, David. As we reach the end of the episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases.
0: Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.
2: Ahura Media Production.